welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo and today I am so excited to have someone, you're actually now my furthest away guest, I had someone yesterday in Oklahoma, um, but you're now trumping them because you're all the way in Australia, aren't you? So I have Mark Berridge with me and I'm going to let him introduce himself because as I always say, I don't do my guest justice when I introduce them. Uh, you know, look, some of these introductions you do get are just so incredible and you think I could never actually say that about myself. Um so Mark Berridge, just an average guy, worked um, in mining mainly most of my my career, sales and marketing into that business. So corporate, three beautiful kids, married to a lovely English uh, girl from from Farnham, and been living here in Brisbane, Australia for the last twenty odd years. Cyclist or not so good cyclist, and I failed to make a corner one morning uh, halfway through a seventy kilometre ride. And managed to fly over the handlebars, controlled crash decision, what was going to be the least impactful point, uh, flew over those handlebars and found a stormwater drain about 1.6 metres or five foot below you know, ground level that I couldn't see. So hand left hand went into that first, then uh, head and left shoulder. And I guess most materially, I crashed T12 to about 40% of its original height and about a piece about the size of a sugar cube went for a little wander into my spinal cord. And I was in a fair whack of pain, it's fair to say. I wasn't breathing too well and, yeah, I was doing it pretty tough in there. So long journey back to, um, I guess, get through all that news to be able to, um, you know, get back up and walk again. And a lot of people helped me in that process. So I guess nowadays what I do is trying to help other people. I've written a book and uh, try and do some speaking and just do whatever I can do to pay for that kindness in the same way that it was paid to me and, you know, through a pretty tough time kindness that's something we're going to come back to again I'm all about kind of the impact or the well-being impact of kindness and, and compassion and we had a great chat actually before we started recording this podcast actually some of those topics I must make sure that we bring back into the recording so thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story one of the things that we were I'm going to go back to front with this podcast one of the things we were just talking about before we hit record was the kind of difference between having support learning techniques, ways of coping with adversity, but also channeling what we have in us and getting that balance right. And part of the brainchild for this podcast is to try and help people look at what we've got in us kind of innately or from our life experience to help us cope with adverse events. So let's start with what is it do you think in you that has enabled you to cope with all that adversity, to Mm. learn to walk again, to do what you're doing now? Um, Yeah, lots of things. I mean, I I guess the the book's called A Fraction Stronger that I wrote and part of the ethos for that was that I was really reflecting, I think we're all stronger than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah, I Um, really do. And I think just by reflecting on that and reflecting on what we've achieved in the past and maybe a few additional tools, we can be stronger again for the future, which is really critical. And so that was probably a, a central thing as I was thinking back, how did I get through these things? I mean, there was um, you know, the very start, it was just how do I scrape up using my imagination, really? Uh, who's done amazing 
um, making things before, and I, I don't know exactly what they did to do those things, but um, you know, if I can sort of mimic their attitude to some degree, then I'm a half a chance. Like I, I don't know what their attitude actually was, what they actually did, but if I can try and imagine it, that's going to help. I had some concrete examples also. My wife had been through bowel cancer a few years before, and right. so there was element of you know how brilliantly she'd handled that, and an element of um, probably a little more penal. So uh, let me say that mostly you focus on the positive, but sometimes having a little bit of the negative as well to remind yourself where you don't want to be helps, which was yes. she was brilliant. Yeah. I'm not going to be the weak parent here. I'm going to find a way to buckle up and, and take on the task. So I guess there's like those mental things you do. I yeah. certainly certainly sparked off a lot of that, you know, memories of what I'd achieved in the past. Um, so that was a really central thing. I think curiosity probably was another factor. Yes, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then, yeah, as I said before, kindness and help and interventions and, you know, t- people just doing great things for me at points that where I wasn't coping. So sometimes it was extrinsic and obviously sometimes it was intrinsic in terms of all, all, of, the, all of those things. Yeah, it was amazing. I'm just thinking when, if we go back, if you're comfortable talking about those kind of early days when you were given the news about prognosis walking can you remember a little bit about what that was like what you remember thinking how 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 did you begin those really literally first few moments of your recovery journey she says it so gently and I suddenly feel like I'm on a couch um (laughs) as a psychologist (laughs) in the ditch all I can remember was trying to slow things down and try and find a way to breathe and don't make it worse by panicking. Just get through this. That's all you need to do now. Get through this. Wait for the ambulance. Um, I had eight other cyclists with me. Top tip, you know, cycle with two physios and a nurse. That helps. Right. Um, Wow. But uh, no, just get through that start. And then I arrived in hospital and, you know, lots and lots of scans and Lucy has rushed to meet me. And I never expected those stand, those scans to say spinal cord damage or the comment that impacted me most was this more than 50% compression of your spinal cord. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? You know, how, do, how am I going to find a way to get around? And I, I really think I was sort of lost for hours, actually, mentally, like trying to wrestle yeah. with yeah. Can how am I going to take that on? So that was, the, that was really low, I think. It's almost like a, almost no memory of time apart from this wrestle of you know can I stand up here can I find a way to to take on this challenge that was really really I guess tough and then a bit of humor so start come out of it and trying to use a bit of humor to come out of it I guess um yeah that would be my early coping mechanisms what was it about humor that intrigues me because some of the models that I use with patients um humor is a, a, a part of that I do something called acceptance and commitment therapy and um the kind of humour element in terms of what you're experiencing can actually really help people through that process. So I'm just wondering what it was about humour that helped you in those early days. So I think hope comes, you know, from our thinking about inspiration from others and our aspiration of where we might want to get to. And it also comes from this element of inside us, I call it embers, that sense of identity and just sparking, you know, the things that can just help you take the next step, next step. So the reason I've started with that is that I think humour was an important part of my embers of my sense of identity, something I could do, something right. I could control. I think it was also important for me in you know, the very first text message I sent back to the cycling boys trying to give them an update, you know, just um, I, I basically said, 
they couldn't operate till later today because Lucy had to go to the Bunnings, which is an Australian hardware store, to go get the rods and screws that they were going to put in my back so that I could right. come back. And I think I just the gravity of my prognosis was so dire. I had yeah. to find a way to lighten it to give myself hope that I could yeah find a way through it. I guess not you know a pathway through it, but also like I wanted to write in that message that. I might be able to walk fully again, even though I didn't quite believe it, but I wanted to help myself believe it and, and maybe just framing it, the overall message with some humour yeah. um, just took that gravity of the message you know, down a notch or something and made it more palatable for me to be able to, to, to get that together. But I think it was, come back to all these things that helped, you know, we, I said there were so many things, you know, just even that first intent, how do I, as bad as it sounds, how do I type out something I don't completely believe, but I can get it across in a way that I might believe it because I need that sort of light on the hill and that big target. Absolutely. Mm. That hope is, well, there's an evidence base, isn't there? There's a, a, an evidence base between, between hope and wellness and coping and resilience. And I think actually sometimes in our darkest times, that's what we do have, that hope that things will work out or that we'll, we'll find a way. And that obviously seems quite essential to what you've been through yourself. And in the kind of following months and years, how have you adapted? What have you done to be able to get to where you are now, writing a book, having it out there, being able to talk to people about your story? Can you remember much about those early months and the years following on that journey? You from an emotional adaption. I mean, it's a sine cu- sine curve, but it's not neat and tidy. Like you're up and down yeah. all the time, and just coming yeah. back to that sort of first day. You know, you, I I desperately battle to to get some mental way through this, and then you know, like prior to the accident, if someone had said that they were, you know, you've got a back injury, you might need to have your spine operated on, I would have like run for the hills if I could have. You know, on, on that day, there was no other choice. That was just the first thing I had to get through. You know, it was an emergency yes. operation, yeah. putting stabilization in my spine, T9 to L2. So, you know, it's 23 centimeters odd of rods. Right. Uh, for the listeners, Gosh. you know, think about that being, you know, I guess, um, you know, your little finger sort of diameter rods that are jammed into your back, screwed in by, you know, effectively break a normal pencil into three pieces and jam that into your spine to screw it onto the spine, you know. So, yeah, um, you just all of that, just get through the first moment and then you wake up post the operation and I can't move an inch up to bed and you sort of go, hmm, it's even harder than I imagined and you're down in the dumps again from a, you know, how do you get hope hope again? So you, yes. you're always just trying yeah. to find ways to build it, maintain it, a bit of, I think, belief and hope are interrelated. I, I like, like to think, you know, hope sometimes is a little bit more from the head and belief is a little bit more from the heart. I'm not sure if that's a real difference. But, yes, I like you know, that. To me, I like that. Um, you know, you using imagination and, and that thoughts about who you are and that sense of identity to drive the hope and then, you know, yes. perhaps that how do I keep realizing how I'm actually feeling and adjusting around that, around the belief. So I guess those those themes definitely help. Um, you know, you, I don't know, just little things in hospital, like, um, you know, when I desperately didn't want to get in the hospital anymore and a lovely OT's turned up that um, was a friend of a friend and she's asked me to mentor a um, practical student that was struggling with some um, some patient interactions and, you know, suddenly that's something I can do that sort of touches yes. back to my previous corporate life. You know, all of those all of those things helped sustain that that um, sense of hope or 
identity through what was a tough process. And they were all elements of coping and that slow transition back to to whatever whatever I am in the future. I guess the most landmark thing was probably about 15 months after uh, the accident. And I was, um, I, yeah, I'd done six months of trying to do part-time work and it was really a you know, a struggle. I'd had the operation to take the fixation back out of the spine. That knocked me around more than I expected. And then um, I just thought about, well, you know, what might I be able to do to make myself feel better? And and uh, they'd said I'd never run again. So I thought, well, I'll go run a lap around the Oval. I believe I can do it. Um, and so I sort of geared myself up for that. And as part of that whole process, I also watched the footage of me trying to walk on the 10th day, which I'd had one try, when I say one try, one afternoon I'd tried to watch, you know, nine months or something before that and just, you know, probably played it about three times and broken down in tears every time I tried to play it. So, yeah, you know, I just forced difficult. myself to watch that until I could watch it in entirety, entirety watch it a couple of yeah. times. I forced myself up to open up my iPad where I'd sort of battled to type in some sort of journaling notes of the first six weeks and all those emotions and, you know, the things that were happening that I'd didn't want to relive and I forced myself to do that. So, you know, you have lots of different things you try at different stages as part of that transition to, you know, who you, whoever you are, you know, next, which is some part of who you were before and some part of who you are now. I have so many, so many things, so many avenues I want to go down, but there's a few things there that really strike me that hopefully will also resonate with, with other people is that obviously we will have the person that we were, you know, our values, interests kind of life and hope and then some of that as a result of your accident had to change but that relationship then between the kind of baseline you who you were before what elements were important of that to take forward but where you might have to have made revisions and then also in your recovery journey so there's kind of two tangents there um how do you help yourself redefine who you are, what matters, you know, from you talked about, you know, your corporate life, but also your values as a person. I've noticed you a few times saying, you know, actually, I'm being told this, but no, I, I want to let me just see what I can do. And, and that I think is really inspiring for people, but also just in the recovery journey that maybe what you need at one point of your journey might not be something you need all the way through and kind of revising what works and, and what you need. I mean, that's They're a lot all perfect you, point, isn't it? <laughs> all so right. Well, yeah. they, they reflect what I think I went through. And yeah, yeah so I guess I'd because I set myself a really big aspiration at the start of, I couldn't picture myself fully walking again, but, um, sorry, walking perfectly again, but I could yeah. sort of picture it to myself as being near to, near to, and I can walk about 50% of my previous pace now. Um, so, you know, I set that big aspiration, but to make that safer for myself, I think I needed to decouple success from the aspiration. So, yes, I want to get to the aspiration, and the things that will help me get to the aspiration are my attitude, you know, applying the effort, embracing help. Um, yes. I can hold myself to account in a nice way. You know, you've got to have some, you know, you've got to have self-kindness as well as uh, external kindness. Absolutely. But how do, I, how do I hold myself to account to those values because that's what I can control? I can yeah. control, the, I guess, the process I'm going through to get you know, as good as I possibly can, I can't necessarily control the outcome. So I guess that was a really central thing. Yeah. Yeah. As psychologists, quite often we will look at the brain and how it can really just take something and run. So if you're in a really difficult situation, it's kind of primed, isn't it, to 
look at worst case scenarios because ultimately that's how it protects us from threat and harm and future threat and harm. But the difficult thing is is sometimes we can get very what we call hooked or very stuck on what will happen and how it's going to be. And we can sometimes go to real frantic efforts to try and control things that we can't control. And part of the, the work that I do is patients is helping them to look at what is in your control right now and it's interesting then a couple of things you said you know that the ultimate outcome no one quite knows but actually what can I control right now in terms of what I'm doing what help I'm having and I I also really like that that kind of just differentiation between what do I want to do where's my autonomy in this recovery what do I want to be working towards but also it sounds like you had to kind of embrace the well what role would others play in that you know and I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. you know what what was your journey like in terms of help? You know, were things offered to you that you weren't ready for? Or, you know, what was that journey like? Because I imagine that a lot of people that have been through tricky things might be thinking, well, it's really hard to accept help or it might be help that you think you don't need. Yeah, and, you know, um, lots of beautiful help. So I guess I'll give the um, slightly longish example from the first sad day. So the accident was a Sunday morning uh, the right. sad day, that sad day was a really pretty ordinary day. I'd had to do something called the standing x-ray. So, you know, when you have a, a spinal fixation like I did, um, they want to see you um, x-rayed standing up so that right. you can they can assess has the operation been successful. Now, things that I was scared of during the process, and there was many, mostly I just dealt with by doing them. Yeah. Acting. Yeah. I could control that. But this particular event, I couldn't control. I didn't know when they were going to wheel me off for the x-ray. I was desperately fearful of falling over um, because at that point in time, I knew that I could barely use my legs at all. We'd had a couple of attempted walks on using a rollator, which is a really heavy walking frame. And, you know, just that... um, I guess that whole fear of it and the whole fear of, you know, having a falling over and having a setback, can I physically do it? Um, What will the results of the scan show? Do I have to have another operation? That's going to really make it harder to get to this aspirational goal. So I had all this fear and then I get down there and there's all sorts of muck-ups with the, uh, I guess, the way that went through the hospital system. So I also got lost down there for a while. My family's come in to see me. They've left because... They had to go to something before I've even come back from the x-rays because I've been lost down there for two hours or something. So I'm really not in the best of spirits, it's fair to say. And then a school teacher turned up um, from our, our boys' school. And I knew him a bit from – he was coached my boy at footy and cross country. Um, but I didn't know him really well. And I'm just thinking, I don't want to see anyone, you know, um, yes. today in this mood. Um, it's lovely you're here, but – you know, let's move on. And he just shared his story of having six fractured vertebrae 15 years before and took him eight years to run, but he got through it. And, um, yeah, so, you know, just there are moments where, you you know, particularly when you're going through something really tough, you can drive yourself towards isolation. And, of course, the more you get towards isolation, the worse it actually gets as much as you don't sort of realise that at the time and finding a way to, you know, embrace that help and, and not be yes. proud and reach out for another instance instances was so important to me. 
interesting isn't it that kind of concept of that unexpected visitor mm. and 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 again coming back to i think autonomy is a really important thing that there may be times in in anyone's life where they just need to kind of take stock and have time alone to process but obviously just keeping an eye on the difference between that and as you say isolation withdrawing to a point where it may have a detrimental impact on you and on your well-being um, and i guess you know that balance then of autonomy of what help you want versus those lovely little I like that example I really do somebody just really unexpected that oh I'm not sure if I can talk to anyone today or I need to just concentrate on myself but then here we come and that's a lovely example well here's another story of adversity and yeah, what you can like kind of times take from that from the whole journey you know that I just yeah. needed some alone time and I think it's important to cut yourself some slack and just give yourself that yes. little bit of I call it wallow time you have a little wallow yeah. Love a bit and of wallow for me time. what works best was just then Again, come back to what I can control. What's the first thing I can, you know, what can I do now that's just simple? I can get down on the mat and I can stretch. And, yep, when I get off that mat, I'm not going to enjoy it because getting off the ground's hard. Well, let's make, let's have a laugh about that this time rather than complain about it as we get up. And that's going to make us feel a bit better. And then we, and then we, what's the next thing we can do that makes us feel just that bit better, that makes us feel like we've got some value or that we can move forward in some way. There is something we can do to control. We can, oh, let's have a discussion with someone that requires me thinking about my previous job and, um, you know, engages my mind in a way because my yes. mind's not impacted by the the injury. Yeah. Thankfully, my helmet did a great job. We didn't cover that off, but I'm very, very grateful that uh, yeah. whilst damaged, it it protected my, my ability to think, recall value, um, you know, memories and other valuable things. So yeah, you know, focus on what we can do and, and things that are just giving us a little glimmer of joy and, and and I think those glimmers of of you know action we can control, then glimmers of joy, they they become brighter sparks and we move our way out of it and you know, before we know it, you know, something that felt pretty big a few hours ago has got smaller and, and we've moved on a little bit, you know, and, and it doesn't go completely, but then of course we've got the next time it comes, we've got this a, a bit of a strategy of how to get out of it, but also a memory of how much better it felt when we got out of it and can we relive Absolutely. that memory and we can use that, yes. you know, a bit of a, a carrot of inspiring, you know, in, inspiring, motivating, I don't know, just encouraging more than anything ourselves to just grind our way back out of it again in that little rhythm or whatever rhythm works for yes. you. you just find your own yeah. little rhythms, but remember the good feeling of having used that rhythm um, for that, you know, to, to move forward. There's a couple of things that have just struck me about what you said there. We were talking about kind of control versus not control and how brains are really great at running away, you know, crystal ball gazing. This is how it's going to be, catastrophizing, all enough and thinking. These are quite cognitive, you know, cognitions that are quite familiar to many people. But actually what I really like then is you being able to give the listeners this literally almost hour by hour example because sometimes in the early stages of a very adverse event or series of events that actually we're not looking at weeks and months later we're looking at how do I get through the next hour and from what you were saying then I hope I've got this right that you know actually being able to consolidate some memories of look I feel better than I did a little while ago and now I can do this and maybe I can try that but just slowing it down um you know literally sometimes I imagine in your recovery that there may have been a lot of times where it was just day by day, hour oh, by hour. Minute, minute by minute almost, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I'd like to pick up on the catastrophizing first because I think yeah, that was, yeah. um, you know, in a way I mock myself for it now. But, you know, at the very start when you hear the, um, I guess, the diagnosis and the prognosis, yes. you know, and yeah. I had, I can't even actually remember what they said. And, and Lucy, my wife, you know, she's a lawyer. She's brilliant. She never misses a beat. And 
you know, I couldn't work out why whenever I was trying to check in on the facts with her from what I saw as the facts from that briefing, she couldn't really remember. And it was only two years later she she fessed up that she was so impacted that she'd pushed herself into the wall and slid around the corner to sit oh, down in the nearest chair. And I've never yeah. seen her. You know, she never missed a beat through um, through her cancer journey, really. I mean, you know, obviously it was tough, but she she was just so incredible. And uh, to, to hear that two years later, I guess it gives some real gravity to the situation. Yes, yeah. You know, my yeah. mind was straight to, you know, I'm no longer going to walk my um, my daughter down the aisle like I might have wanted to or I'm not going to, you know, it's life's just going to be different, my image of life. And, of course, people do end up in that situation and, and they cope through it perfectly well. But at that point in time, all your mind sort of going is seeing the negatives in this, this situation and, um, you know, that we're a busy family and all of a sudden I'm going to be slowing that busy family down rather than helping yes. it hang together. Yeah. And, you know, they, they all say, the reason I said mock myself is they all seem so overblown now with hindsight. But, but of course, at that point in time, you don't know where it's going to end up. You know, and, yeah. and I'm and I'm desperately pushing for certainty, you know, in the early dialogue. And I just couldn't get any certainty. And I think the point in time where I let go was so liberating when they just kept saying, well, you know, effectively, uh, every spinal cord injury is unique. You know, so I managed to extrapolate that out to well, then every recovery is going to be unique, and yes. I'll, I know I'll make this one mine. Then thanks, and of course they all are. It's actually completely logical when you look the whole sentence. In you know, every spinal cord injury is unique. Every recovery is unique. Every recovery from anything is unique. Yeah, but you don't really yeah. think it at that point in time. You're just looking for, you know, you guys help me through this. But I think the, once I let go and said, you know. Um, I'll, I'll let it go, you know, I'll just let it be what it would be and I'll make my um, my best effort to control what I can control. And so just coming back to that absolute step to, by step, you know, then you, know, you wake up from operation, you barely can do anything. And so I could just go, well, I know that having a setback by getting, you know, some sort of post-operative you know, pneumonia or something else is not going to yes. be good. So I can do the breathing yeah. instruction, the, the activity that they've given me. I can follow those instructions. That might hurt like nothing else, but I can do it. I'll do it every half yeah. an hour. I'll do it more than they told me to do it. I'll just do those small breathing exercises. If I do that, I'm not going backwards. Yep, I can't move my toes. I'm getting these bad results on my um, my ASIA tests in terms of you know, my left foot basically wasn't moving at all. My right foot was barely moving a twitch. Right. You know, but I can try. I can strain every yeah. muscle. I can try and remain connected with my feet. I'll just wiggle them. And they're tiny things, but I can do those tiny things. If I keep doing those tiny things over and over and over, it may not work. I can't control whether or not it works or not. But, geez, I'll feel a lot better about myself in two years' time if I've known that I've tried them, I've tried them, and I've tried them yes. and rather than yeah. miss the opportunity. So I think that was really central to me, that sort of, yeah, those little steps. Just find the little steps you can do, do them, you know. It hurts to sit up in, in the bed, you know, the bed sort of came up to 30 degrees or something and that wasn't right. really very effective. Well, it doesn't hurt that much more to find a way to sit on the side of the bed. Let's learn how to sit on the side of the bed. We'll sit there instead because it's got to be slightly better for me overall and it doesn't hurt that much more. And, yeah, it's, how do you just, yeah, just find ways to do those little things and do them again and do them again. Do you know what I think is really useful for people is hearing, you know, real life examples of that. Because sometimes when you 
you know, hear about this concept of breaking things down into small chunks, it can be really hard when you're in overwhelm, you know, when your brain's in threat mode to know what does that look like? You know, because to some people, small steps might be let me concentrate on whether I can take one step, two steps. But actually, with your journey, it was much smaller than that. And something else just struck me then from what you'd said, actually, what your kind of core values were as a person and how you might have drawn on those then as part of your recovery, you know, that you valued, actually, I, I, I want to get better. I, you know, what were your core values do you think that helped you to go right this is what I need to be doing right now let's get me on the side of that bed because it sounds like you were in touch with quite a few of those yeah yeah I think absolutely you know um that sense of you know determination that I guess I played a fair bit of sport and I never saw myself as being like a great player on the team but I always thought I was a great team guy and I I tended to lead so I guess there's those elements of yeah, pick up at that determination. You're someone that, you know, never gave up, that was always, um, yeah, I guess put in the, the, the effort when it needed to be put in. And um, and I think that was really central because if we come back to that one in particular, so often, you know, my thought was getting through things like that, that standing x-ray, you know, if I can avoid defeat in this moment, then the moments ahead will be better. There's no There's no way for them to be better if I get defeated in this moment. Yes. Yeah. I'm not trying to win this moment. I'm just trying to avoid defeat in this moment yes. and get through it yeah. to the next one. And I think that sort of, to me, that determination and that avoiding defeat, if you like, uh, you know, I guess the commingled to a degree, and they were really central to me. Um, That's you know, a I think, really good you know, reframe, family, isn't it? Really good reframe. I like yeah, that. Yeah, well, reframe is just so important. Like, you know, yes. and I still get it today. Like, I try and carry groceries or luggage or other things that I just can't do very well, or, yeah. you know, walking with my family. And so, walking with the family is a great one. Like, every time that happens and I'm falling, if I don't think about it, I'll fall, fall behind immediately. And so, I've got the automatic thought I can't help, which is I hate falling behind. And so, yes. the, my automatic, well, my now manual reframe that's always now automatic is, well, at least I'm walking with the hope of improvement. And yes. so how do we just, yeah. we, I don't think we can um, avoid negative thoughts that will come, they're automatic. And they do, they do. Then we they find that way to get the right phrase that helps us uh, diffuse, diffuse yes. and, and harness some of that energy towards um, positive motivation. I think that was one thing I you know, didn't do perfectly, but I did do well, which was as much as possible. How do I turn my energy towards the positive and doing something yes. Um, yes. rather than yeah. letting it be uh, draining of me and, and pushing me backwards? And, and I really tried. You know, I wasn't perfect. and I've got a few good examples of being imperfect on that one, but I did my best to, to try and get it, get it happening mostly. So, mm. Typical psychologist then. Is there an example you don't mind sharing of when that imperfect showed oh, up? Oh, well, the most obvious one um, uh, is uh, what we call Charlie's 21 words. So my um, my youngest child, um, what was he, must have been uh, 12 as we went through the – he just had his 12th right. birthday as yeah. we went through it. So 21 months after the accident, um, I'm over at a friend's place and he vaguely knew a story about it, didn't really, and uh, so he'd asked me to sort of talk through, you know, where I was at and what was going on. I, I thought he was going to be quite interested, but it didn't take very many sentences before he's just turned to Charlie. I think it's because he's a school teacher and said, Charlie, what was it like for you in that first week? And you know that feeling when some you hear some words and all, all of a sudden you've lost all sense of what's happening in the conversation because you're so taken aback by the words. Well, that's what happened. Yes. It took me a few took me a few minutes to get over his first words. 
he said, Dad, oh, so yeah, Kerry said, what was it like for you in that first week? Charlie says, Dad, you look so depressed. You're confused about how the accident happened and you were constantly apologising for letting us down. So it wasn't, you know, Dad, you're amazing the way you took on this journey or all the things I thought that I was largely doing. Yeah, yeah. And it shows just the way we do you know, he was only seeing me for half an hour every second day or something. So that's what he saw when he was there. And I was definitely apologizing. Um, and Lucy, my wife, actually, by about the fourth day or something, turns up with this button that says, I'm sorry, in six different annoying ways to show me how right. annoying I, sa- yeah. I sounded, yeah. apologizing the whole time. And yeah, so that was a great, it was a reminder that I was actually, when they weren't there, I was using all of that that feeling of I've got to be a contributor to this family, I've got to set the example I want to to my kids to do these exercises, to do all the hard little things, the breathing over and over again, to sit up in pain, Um, you know, just do everything the physios asked me to do as hard as I could, as often as I could. But when they were there, of course, I was lamenting back in the moment a bit more and just wasting a bit of that energy. And and Lucy did a great job of resetting, uh, I guess, my appreciation of that energy balance and getting me to just, you know, focus a bit more in the right direction. And again, I will say to to listeners, you won't get all of it in the right direction. Don't beat yourself up there. Cut yourself some slack. You know, I'd have days where I just by, you know, the phone calls that happened, other things happened. I missed the exercise routine I wanted to do and you just go on, oh, Mark, you know, you, you need to do this. You need to push yourself. Um, but you don't, you can, you know, you still look at the big picture. I think there was a great example yeah. of it um, out of Josephine Perry's podcast with you when you're talking about, you know, that yes. what's the overall journey. Don't don't worry about individual outcomes, individual days, individual moments. Get Worry about what you can control and get the process largely right, yeah. um, as right as you can, and then the, the outcome should follow. You may not, you can't necessarily control that, but if you start losing... I guess that uh, the balance between those individual days going up and down, the variation, natural variation in anything, I mean, your bigger picture and, and worry, then you're just constantly adjusting or you're constantly berating yourself or, you know, other non-efficient uses of energy. All the great things that we do to ourselves and that I'm sure anyone listening to this will go, yep, yeah, I've had that. There will be examples of that. Do you know, there's a few things that have kind of themes that have come out for me so far that just how important your kind of core values are as a person to helping you navigate, being able to slow it down, being able to recognize and brains fast forward into how you want things to be or getting very stuck on what's not happening. But self-compassion, self-kindness, that's really come out so far hasn't it and I'm thinking everything you've been through then all that hard work is it all right to use that term I always worry I don't want that to kind of underplay what you've been through but just how much you really just had to push yourself and push yourself sitting on the side of that bed that's that's going to stay with me that kind of image that it creates in my head of I'm just going to do that a little bit more because I really want to live life in line with my values and move forward you really have moved forward haven't you so you have your book and I want to talk about that and and also where you, you kind of just kind of alluded to the fact of getting back to that corporate world the kind of you before you know and how this book being able to start to talk to others how is that helping you get a little bit back in line yeah with the corporate so you again I think can I bring it back to that question you had earlier about the you know what um I guess what success like changes you know you um yes, you know, the yeah. very start I associated so strongly that if I just if I just outperformed the prognosis on a physical basis yes I would get back to be the old me and yeah. that sense of values and the whole 
excuse me, the whole old me was really central to, I guess, the energy I had to do that. It was it was yeah. crucial um, to getting there. But of course, the closer I, uh, so the longer that process went on, the real more I realised that not all of it was coming back. Not all the physical yeah. side was coming back, and certainly, yeah. uh, which I never appreciated that. As a result, not all the emotional side or the emotional rewards of the way I worked, what you know, all that, the way that fitted together, all of that wasn't coming back in the same way. And so, I guess yeah, eventually, um, as I said, I sort of did this jog of, jog of the oval, jogging a lap of the oval, and I sort of, um, you know, not long after that, I got asked to speak uh, to some of the uh, year twelves at, at the school um, right. that my boys had been to, and, and I just sort of started to appreciate that maybe. Um, there was some value in my story to share it for others, and I guess probably all of these people that helped me and and shared their stories was you know a massive factor in that as well yeah. of, of appreciating yeah. the power their stories had on me. Um, I guess you know, one of the other examples on the very first day when, um, or when I believe it was the first day, but maybe it was in the first few days when I'm looking for inspiration of who other people um, had done amazing things. I could see this picture of a former. Um, Australian Paralympian uh, when she was three uh, that that I'd seen when she was doing a keynote speech. I couldn't remember her name at the time, but I could sort of remember this picture of her as a three-year-old yeah. in some homemade um, exercise equipment because her parents had helped to get over or you know, deal with her um, you know, muscular dystrophy um, to, I guess, go on and be an um, amazing uh, swimmer. And just thinking, you know, if they they can tackle that problem and find the way to, to deal with that, then I can yeah. find a way to deal with this problem. So, yeah, you you pick up all of those those memories and that sense of you know identity, and people yeah. have you know, and you move on and think, well, okay, people help me. Can I go on and do and help other people? And um, you know, that's if that's uh, an amazingly valuable thing that comes out of what was a pretty unlucky moment for me. Or that overall, that's a really um, a great outcome. And, you know, some people would say, you know, maybe it was serendipitous. Maybe it was my, you know, I found my calling by accident. I like to go to the dad jokes of, you know, I'm now an accidental author or I've been catapulted back in contact with my creative side. <laughs> There's the um, humour, you see, <laughs> the theme of humour. So, yeah, so that I guess that was really the crux of it is, um, yeah, I just feel so fortunate, um, you know, in 2019 in particular, all I, all I could say was unlucky but lucky um, out yeah. of the incident. And I feel so fortunate if I can do something to help a few other lives, that's a very, very magical thing to have happened. So It really is that, that skill to be able to share your story because I appreciate every single person I talk to on this podcast has a story to share. And, and it's not always easy, is it, to talk through and to continually talk through a story if you do it in other platforms as well. Um, but you've put your story into your book haven't you do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're hoping people can get from reading it so it's called a fraction stronger isn't it yeah so the as i was writing the working title was it's not about the fall with the idea being um you know it's not how we fall over it's how we choose to get up right and i guess that's a central theme but you know when i was really sort of trying to chisel out how do i want people to feel it was i wanted them to feel stronger um, yes. You know, just a and and we can do these that by just little increments all the time, and and I think the biggest thing is by actually appreciating, you know, the things we've done before. Yes. So, yeah, you know, what do I want most out of the the book? Well, I want um, people to be able to that you know the people that are um, that choose to read it, and you know, there's lots of things that take our time. Um, so it's an absolute blessing every time someone 
chooses to invest some of their emotional energy and, and time to read your book. But when they read it, just to spend the time and reflect on, you know, that they are probably stronger than they thought they were and all the great yeah. things they've achieved in their lives and, and t- get in touch with their own values and the things that might drive them um, when they get in a hardship, I guess, uh, just to appreciate that they're actually going through more hardships and little things all the time than they give themselves credit for and they're doing a much better job of navigating. Yeah. Well, life's, yeah. life's difficult, right? So I guess one of the phrases I didn't put in the book but I thought of post was, you know, life is imperfect but people are achieving exceptional things from imperfect positions every day and we all do it. Yeah. Um, we just don't quite realise that you know, what we're achieving um was harder than we actually thought it was, but we're just doing it. We're just finding a way to get through it. So, yeah, just that that sense of reading it and just reflecting on their own strength. Um, you know, if they think that there's someone in need that that they would give the book to, even better, because you know, I know when it gets into the hands of people that are doing a really you know really tough, that it's been it's it's really been beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, you, you write it not knowing if anyone will read it at all. You, you write it thinking maybe I can just help a few people a little bit because that would be that'd be a great outcome and, you know, it's yeah. just been amazing in terms of the response. We were just talking about that way in the bit where I didn't press record at the beginning, but that, that, that's your hope. We're quite similar there, are really connected yeah. over that in terms of this is about if a few people can take something and I hope that butterfly effect, is it all right to say? So on your social media recently, you had a friend that was at the top of some mountain peak with your book <laughs> and I'm just thinking is that what you were kind of you know referencing how could it? you ever how could you ever predict yeah. that so a guy that I worked with 10 odd years ago we were you know it was a pretty tough time we only worked together 18 months or something maybe 15 yeah. months but we've always sort of you know one of those colleagues that you're just friendly with yeah. maybe we text yeah. each other every six months or something you know you you barely got any contact at all and he he chose to read my book and um, when he was reading the book, he decided that he was going to um, book to to climb up a mountain in in Peru called Chachani, if I've pronounced that correctly. You know, it's six thousand and fifty seven meters, so it's climbing wow. up. Um, yeah, climbing up a fair way. Um, he used to live in in Chile for a while, so I think that's why he's so familiar. And he must have had it on his list of things to do. And and I think maybe well, he hasn't fully explained, but I would like to think that he was reading the book and thinking, you know. These are, this is something I've wanted to do for a while. I'm just yeah. going to get out there and do it. And yeah, the books, the books having that, you know, you got to write to someone. And I'm definitely writing to the person that's in the bed or the, you know, the people supporting, whether that be medical specialists or family or friends supporting the person in the bed. You know, that was yes. central to who I was really trying to write and connect to. But yeah, I, I believe there's book, there's stuff in the book for far broader than that in terms of just appreciating what we've got. Um, making the most of each moment and yeah. you know people his stories and a great example of that but um, I think sorry um, longish answer listeners sorry Tara by sharing my story being vulnerable and and you know I had to coach myself all the time to be vulnerable that obviously the publisher and the editor said you've got yeah. to open up more and it was hard for me and I just had to convince myself there was if I wanted to help people then there was more benefit for everyone else in me opening up those feelings and and just how tough it was at different moments and how I only just coped with all of my every fibre of strength and will and sense of identity of who I was in those moments. But I did cope, as we all do, Um, you you know, we just find that way to just, even if we don't feel like we're coping, we do find a way to just get through the moment. And 
yeah, if, you know, by sharing those feelings as uncomfortable it was for me, if it can make someone else's journey a fraction more comfortable, that's a pretty special thing as well. That's what I love about your book title, just a fraction. Well, you know, Small that's all we need, things. like just that little bit, just that little bit, it moves us, yeah. move it forward. And of course, you know, there are moments where um, step changes you know, happen and intervention helps in a certain way. We get a breakthrough yeah. but and we, you know, go to love those breakthroughs, but they generally only came because we ground away, ground away, ground away at the fractions that set them up. We just sort of noticed the a fraction, you know, that sort of step change more. And, and, you know, you have lots of proud moments. But for me, one of the really proud things for me is, you know, my physio at one point saying, you know, you, you, never, you never shirked just doing the hard stuff over and over again. Like other people, yeah. particularly when they're in such a difficult physical position, it gets too hard and they start to look for the quick fix. And I think there was a little yes. bit of talk about that on, you know, again, Joe Perry's session, you know, and – um, you know, how do we, um, I guess, avoid the quick fixes and just find yeah. a way to just, you know, stay the course, stay the, you know, stay the process and, and let the outcomes sort of present um, as they do at the end, you know, but control what we can control. Control. And also we've gone kind of full circle there, haven't we, in terms of we started, as we said, before we hit record, just talking about helping people to kind of tap into what they already have, that, you know, we have a lot of inbuilt things to help us cope. And that's really come across strongly today. Now, I ask every guest for one little adversity takeaway, one nugget. And there's so much you said, I don't know if it's possible (laughs) to choose one thing. Is there one little bit of adversity advice you'd like to leave us with? I oh, look, I've got 13 chapters in the book and I feel like every one of them's got at least <laughs> one tagline. I'm just going to go with bravery. It's the first chapter in the book. And for me, bravery, courage, you know, we, we all dismiss um, how courageous we are. Yeah. Um, and just think about it in terms of bravery only needs to be what you need it to be to get through that moment, to get to the next moment. That's all it needs to be. Don't put it up as anything more. Just use bravery as being your sense of self that gets you through that moment and onto the next one. I love that. That will stay with me. So people are going to want to hear more about you. Where can they find you? I'm going to put all of these in the show notes as well, of course. Yeah, so um, markberridge.com.au. I tend to be on LinkedIn a little bit too, so Mark Berridge on LinkedIn. There's a Mark Berridge author uh, Instagram. Um, it's a bit boring. There's a Cavoodle and a Bordoodle that pop up occasionally. Um, unfortunately, the Cavoodle got nicknamed the witch by the dog groomer. I think it's probably fair enough, but it seems a bit harsh at the same time. Um, and yeah, so, um, yeah, those, those are my main socials. Um, the book is, uh, I think it's in some bookstores in the UK, certainly um, widespread through Australia and bookstores and, and online and audiobooks coming out soon. Pretty excited about oh, that. Great. Brilliant. Um, took me a while to get around to doing an audiobook, but yeah, just ultimately I couldn't hold a book in the first three, well, three I was just or four thinking weeks. That, yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, and and there's plenty of people that, you know, uh, I guess people, you know, dealing with going through stroke or other yes, issues that, yeah. um, you know, just a verbal book. So if you put up with the fact that I forgot to take my glasses, which seems a really stupid thing to do, um, but I'm still in denial about uh, needing glasses for the first day of the audio book, 
Um, uh, it, it gets better, and I know it's a good. It's a, I love that process, and so grateful I did it, and so grateful I got good help to to help me get through it. Yeah, and obviously, what you're saying about allowing yourself to be imperfect. Sometimes we forget our glasses, you know, leaning into that. And well, I'll make sure that further down the line. It all comes back to character as well, you know. That, yes. That imperfection is yeah. part of character, and character is yeah. part of our strength and really our is. sense of identity. Sorry, Tara. I was going to say, I'm going to make sure um, I will at a later date add in your audio book link to your show notes when that's out. So if you give me a nudge when it's out, I'll look out for it as well um, so we can make sure. Because I just think that's really important for people to have those two platforms to be able to access the book um thank you so much mark it's really it's, it's really early in the uk um set my day up really nicely now um it's so lovely to meet you and, and, and to connect and hopefully you'll come on again because every guest i'm like no i'd like to talk about this and that so hopefully you'll come back on again <laughs> your show's been more. magnificent like i'm just enjoying listening to the different uh, podcasts so much now oh, that i found you, you and it's just awesome so keep up the great work some- I'm glad. And Josephine Perry, we'll let her know that, that you really enjoyed her episode as well. She's oh, and great, Stuart Sadler's and Mark Perrin and Nick Inge. I love those ones as well. So they were they had, had stuff I could, yeah, just appreciate all of those. That Anyway, awesome. I will be sure to tell them. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much. Um, and hopefully you'll come on again soon. <laughs> Thanks, Tara. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast helping you one step at a time.